are some essential ingredients in most things in life that without these ingredients, the item being addressed would be something else other than what it is. A piece of metal, for instance, isn't a piece of wood because of a different arrangements of atoms and molecules. A monkey isn't a giraffe because of a specific genetic code that makes it what it is. A lost person is not simultaneously a redeemed person because of the missing ingredient, essential ingredient, of the Lord Jesus in the life. I'd like to touch on a particular ingredient ingredient that is very specific to prayer, one which is critically important, and as you see in your bulletin, adding the ingredient of fasting in prayer. I last touched on this subject three, three and a half years ago. I believe I'd only preached on it one time, and that was back then uh, in, uh, since I've been at this church, um, maybe one time ever in my, in my pastoral ministry. But I'm so convinced of the spiritual value of fasting that I've re-prepared a message this week on it. I've re-practiced it this week, and I re-preach it today. And I want you to take very careful notes, very careful notes today and extensive notes. Of course, it'll be on CD and uh, cassette tape. CD, right, Chris? And cassette tape to purchase at a later time or check out if you'd like. But I want you to take notes and have notes because as you practice prayerful fasting, I want you to do what I did this week. And that is I went back to my old notes And in the course of reworking them and doing further study and getting more insight into this all-important principle, I restudied my notes to make sure that I was reminded of the theology and the practicality of fasting. I literally restudied my message so as to make sure my motives were pure and my heart and mind were focused on what I was about in this discipline. I was prompted this week to give myself to prayer and fasting because of a number of heavy burdens I'm carrying and and I have been carrying for some time. Um, Some have to do with, uh, much of it has to do with you all. Um, Some through uh, various losses or potential losses. Some through uh, family uh, discord uh, and uh, uh, situations that are going on in the family of God here and that that's not uh, evident it's not known uh, uh, things in my own life in um, in other family members and all and so I have been especially burdened and continue to be and uh, and so I gave myself this week again to the discipline of prayer and fasting you know the song that says the longer I serve him the sweeter he grows but it's also true The longer I serve him, the needier I become. Have you ever noticed that? That when you were first saved, maybe the first year or two or three, and you started to learn some theology and you started to understand some Bible passages, how you felt like you had a handle on it and things were just clipping along okay. And now that you've been saved 10, 20, 30, 50 years, you're more acutely aware of how needy you are. (laughs) I am so needy. That I don't, I can't even let you know how needy I am. That sounds a bit feigned, but this week 
I've been especially reminded of that, that how desperate I am for God. Sometimes my love for God takes a back seat and my neediness of God becomes very paramount. When you're carrying a burden, the word of God would commend fasting to you. Why? Because it's an extreme expression of needing God. It's basically saying and pouring out your heart in your need for the Lord. Don Whitney, my friend and tremendous professor and theologian at Midwestern Seminary just north of the river, wrote in his book, which I would also commend to you, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. He said, few disciplines go so radically against the flesh and the mainstream of our culture as this one, namely the discipline of prayer and fasting. Jesus spoke about this particular discipline relative to a demon possessed boy. He said, and he told his followers that there are some things that can only be addressed by prayer and fasting. Matthew 17, 21. He says, you can, you can have all the gifts. You can minister in any number of ways. You can pour your life into this person. You can disciple, you can counsel, but there are some things that will not be addressed. Jesus said, you will not touch some things in life apart from prayerful fasting. Now that is a load of stuff that he just gave us in that short phrase. There are some issues that you will face. And I guess he would mean to say that all of us will face from time to time that apart from prayer and fasting, it's not going to be addressed. That is how desperate God wants you to be for him. That is how needy he wants you to become. And prayer and fasting is the way it's addressed. The great Christian leader from Norway, O. Hallesby, wrote, Jesus shows us here that fasting is the means, that is in the text I just read, fasting is the means whereby believing prayer can mediate the addition of needed power from God. Now that's a, that's a bit of a man-centered kind of a understanding. That is, you can almost turn the heart of God. And I can't understand this, this verse that Jesus said any, in any other way other than that um, prayerful fasting, it so accentuates our crying out to God. It so amplifies and magnifies our neediness that the Lord is especially responsive. It's not doing a trick. It's not some kind of a a strategy. It's not a ploy. It's a desperate plea. And so if you think that prayerful fasting is some kind of a trick, some kind of an angle you can work with God, you've entirely missed it. If you understand and you come to the point of profound and intense neediness, then you're commended to practice the discipline of fasting. Three main points. First of all, prayerful fasting described. What is it? What is it? Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. I want you to look at Matthew chapter 6, if you would. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. Please take notes. Please check out the tape. Please buy a copy of this so that you will have it and be able to delight in the Lord for a lifetime in this all-important discipline. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. Matthew 6, 5 through 8. Jesus taught on fasting in this text. Matthew 6, beginning in verse 5. And when thou prayest, 
Thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and at the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Verily, <clears throat> I say unto you, they have their reward. That is just human, human exaltation is the only reward they have. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy room. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father who is in secret. And thy father who seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the pagans do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask them. And then it goes on to say in, um, in verses um, 16, Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily, I say unto you, uh, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy feet, that thou uh, appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy father who is in secret. And thy father who seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Notice in this text, in verse 16, Jesus did not say if you fast, but when you fast. That is a key point. Um, the what of fasting is that it is something that uh, it is presumed that we're going to do it. Now, how do I know it's presumed? Well, uh, is it presumed by the Lord? Is it understood that believers are to give themselves to prayer? Yes. Is it understood? Is it presumptive that believers are to give themselves to giving? Yes. But notice in our text, it says in verse um, in verse two, therefore, when thou doest thine alms in verse three, when thou doest alms, that is when you give. And then in verse five and when you pray and then in verse 16 and when you fast just as much as giving and praying is presumed in scripture, fasting is presumed in scripture. The very same phrasing is used for giving, of course, all believers are to give. We're to bring the first fruits of our increase. It is understood that we're going to give of our resources. It is understood that we're going to pray. We're going to walk in a spirit of prayer as the children of God. It is equally, and folks, tell me if I'm doing disservice to the text here, it is equally understood. It is equally presumed that we will give ourselves to fasting. That's how important this subject is in scripture. <clears throat> Prayerfully fasting, crawling, uh, crying out to God, calling upon him in desperate times. There have been times in my Christian life where I've give, been given to concentrated fasting and prayer, but that has not been the norm. I'm not an expert in this. I have, however, become more and more convinced and more and more convicted that God is strangely close to the heart of one who has added the ingredient of fasting in prayer. I tell you that I fasted this week not to violate this text in a showboating way, but so that I might identify better and so that you might have a, uh, uh, I might be able to give better understanding to what the text is saying. So what is it? First of all, we need to find out what it isn't so that we don't make a mistake. Folks, it isn't going without food for a time um, just for the sake of doing that. It must be practiced properly if we're going to really be uh, giving ourselves to a biblical fast. <clears throat> what it isn't, 
It isn't a payment for my sin. We have heard much about that uh, this morning. The wondrous exchange has caused my debt to be paid in full. And now I am free in Christ and forgiven and complete in him. Fasting is not penance. It's not paying the debt uh, by the sinner uh, to make an amends for his sin. You could spend a lifetime trying to pay that off and you would fall infinitely short of that. So it's not that. Also, it isn't an enhancement for my standing. That, only, that is, not only will I fail uh, if I try to work my way to God, I also fail if I try to earn brownie points, as it were, or try to get on God's good side. You already have the love of God shed abroad in your hearts. You're already more than conquerors through him who, who loved you. You are already um, complete in him. You can't do anything to add anything to your standing in Christ. Galatians 3, verses 2 and 3 says that you came to Christ by faith and you grow in him by faith, not by self-effort. So fasting is not for the purpose of the payment of sin or to somehow uh, measure up better in God's eyes. I'm not trying to make God say, wow, I really need to get close to this one. Look what he or she is doing. It's not the purpose at all of fasting. What is it? I have a working definition of fasting that I, I think um, I developed uh, a few years ago. I like it. Maybe you will like it as well. Fasting is the personal and willing denial of satisfying a physical need or desire for a designated season which could otherwise be righteously fulfilled. I believe every part of that definition must be in this, uh, um, in this working definition. If you take any of it out, then you do not adequately describe what biblical fasting is. Notice it's, it is a personal and a willing denial. Um, it's, that is, uh, I'm going to uh, do away, I'm going to set aside food, for instance. It could be any, I could fast from any number of things, but for the most part, it's talking about uh, food. And it's personal and willing in that I can't decide it for you. I can't put this on you. I can't say to my wife, I can't say, Pam, uh, you've really just not been on the cutting edge lately. I, I really want you to start fasting. You know, that's not my uh, uh, thing. And she can't say that to me. So Pam, quit telling me that. Um, she, can't, uh, she can't put me that on me. It is a personal and willing from your own heart. It is really as much as anything as there is between you and God. As much as anything in life, fasting is between you and the Lord. So it is personal. It is willing. That is, you're not being coerced. Because fasting, write this down, fasting is never commanded in Scripture. Never. God never commands you to fast. No one else can ever command you to fast. But it is always commended. It's always recommended is what I'm saying. It's never commanded, but always commended. It's never required or forced, but it's always a good idea. It's that kind of a principle uh, is what uh, the word of God teaches. Fasting seems to be accompanied always by prayer. Don Whitney writes again in his book, he says, a Christian's voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. And so fasting is not going on a crash diet. Uh, It's not the the opposite of saying, well, I've been a glutton lately, so I think I'll fast, so I'll stop being a glutton. No, it's not the opposite of gluttony either. It's not going on a diet. It's not the, what's the opposite of gluttony? Repent. (laughs) 
repent. That's what you do with gluttony. Y'all follow me? Amen. You with me? Yeah, that's any sin. What you do with that is you repent. And so fasting is not the opposite of gluttony. Fasting will be characterized by three particular things. First of all, it'll be characterized by focused prayer because the issue in fasting isn't food. The issue is focus. That, folks, if you, if you walk away with any, um, any uh, soundbite, if you want to get any soundbite today, have in your mind, rattling and ringing in your heart, the issue in fasting isn't food. The issue is focus. The focus is being ratcheted up. I am enhancing. I'm causing the focal point of that burden that I'm bringing to the Lord. That's going to become paramount in my life. And so fasting is a physical expression of a burdened heart. Now, do you notice it? Does it want to get your attention? Oh, yeah. Especially someone like me. Uh, I, uh, young people, I grew up on food. I really did. I grew up eating food. We had it back then. And I love food. And I love banana cream pies and I love steak and, uh, and all the rest. And so, yeah, it lets me know that it's there. But folks, this week, as I had given myself uh, with a burdened heart to, to prayer and fasting, every time the tummy would start growling, every time that a hunger pang would hit and it tried to get my attention many times those first few hours, I would just stop and say, Lord, I am so thankful. I am rejoicing in you that that hunger is telling me that I have access to the throne of grace. And I mean, I would have a glory fit over my hunger pains. I would almost anticipate. I'd almost look forward to them because it would every time remind me God, you are there and I can call upon you and I can bring my burden to you and my soul is lifted. My heart is full, even though my body is saying you're not treating me like you normally are. My focus was enhanced. My sensitivity spiritually was just uh, just uh, electric almost compared to what it is in more of a dull type of a um, dynamic. It took place in the book of Acts, this focused prayer on the first missionary journey in Acts chapter 13. It says, and when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands upon them and sent them away. Prayer, uh, uh, fasting will be accompanied by focused prayer. Fasting will be accompanied by fervent prayer. In the, in the wilderness, you'll remember, Jesus had just been baptized and he was driven by the Spirit out into the wilderness for 40 days, 40 nights. He was tempted in the wilderness all the time he was fasting. And the greater the burden, and he was launching the earthly ministry, he knew why he had come. He knew three years later, heaven was going to turn its uh, deaf ear to his cries from the cross, and he was going to become sin. He was going to become the scapegoat. He was going to become the Lamb of God who takes away the sin. He recognized that. And for those 40 days, 40 nights, he was carrying the greatest burden uh, one could carry. The more intense the burden, the more intense, the greater the burden, the more intense prayerful fasting should be. And then frequent prayer. And in case you think fasting is for a different dispensation, And I'm a dispensationalist. I know what I'm talking about here. In case you fear it's for some other time, 2 Corinthians 11, 27, Paul said that I was in fastings often. And in describing his ministry in 2 Corinthians 6, 5, Paul said as frequently he was in watchings, that is in prayer and in fastings. And so as a New Testament apostle and a minister and a missionary and a church planner, he was one 
who was very much given to frequent, to fervent, and to focused prayer, which was part and parcel of fasting. The what of fasting. Secondly, prayerful fasting, when we observe it, when? Is there a best time to fast? Is there a better time than another? Remember, it's not ever commanded but it's always and especially commended in some situations. When is it especially important to practice the discipline of fasting? Are there times? Yes. Times of severe temptations. We're all tempted. We're going to be tempted today to sin. But there are times, there are times from time to time when we are especially tempted to sin, when there is some kind of a chronic situation, when um, it's, there's an interpersonal uh, rupture, uh, maybe a rupture in a marriage, or there's some kind of a, a difficulty, uh, maybe with your health, or, or you're tempted to fear, or you're tempted to be discouraged, or, or maybe there's a financial issue, and you're tempted to embezzle. I mean, there's some kind of an, an extreme temptation which has come upon you. Apart from the grace of God, you would give yourself to that particular sin. And so why do we fast? Because fasting increases or enhances spiritual alertness. Therefore, during times of severe temptation, fasting is especially wise because it heightens my um, spiritual life. The sensitivity is heightened. Jesus did that again in the wilderness. So think about this. Men, do you struggle with immoral lust, with thoughts, with temptations and all? Give yourself to prayerful fasting. I can tell you anecdotally, it makes a huge difference. It makes a huge difference. If your motive is right and if your heart is desperate for God, that particular discipline absolutely heightens you so spiritually, so sensitively uh, that you will experience victory. And 1 Corinthians 7, 5 even alludes to that as it tells husbands and wives, they're not to willingly defraud one another except with consent for a time that you give yourselves to fasting and prayer. Why? Because God designed us and he knows knows that when we fast from food, our physical um, uh, uh, drives and direction and all in life, that takes a back seat and our spiritual sensitivities are heightened. God knew it would work that way. He designed it to work that way. And in fact, it does do that. And so during times of severe temptation, maybe you don't have any temptation that's out of the ordinary going on in your life. What about this? Times of significant decisions. When Jesus was choosing his apostles, he spent an uninterrupted night, a sleepless night in prayer uh, and fasting. And Paul and Barnabas on the first church planning missionary trip, um, uh, they, uh, the, peop- uh, the, the leaders gave themselves to fasting. And then in Acts 14, 23, it says, and when they had ordained elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And so even though fasting isn't commanded, it is commended, it is recommended uh, by God's people, even in a corporate sense. There are times when corporately God's leader, leaders um, sense an extra burden or some kind of a uh, intense uh, temptation or a decision that needs to be made where a pastor or church leaders might call a corporate fast. Again, it's not to command, but it's to recommend it. If I'm too occupied with physical desires, physical needs, then I'm not going to be as spiritually sensitive 
as I should be and need to be. And I'm convinced prayerful fasting purifies my motives. How can I do that, folks? Because prayer is not me getting my will done on earth. It is me being sensitive to what God wants to do in accomplishing his will right here. Don Whitney writes about this subject. He says, the Bible does not teach that fasting is a kind of spiritual hunger strike that compels God to do our bidding. If we ask for something outside of God's will, fasting does not cause him to reconsider. Fasting does not change God's hearing so much as it changes our praying. Did you hear that? You become spiritually sensitive. It's not like God increases in his sensitivity, but you become more drawn. Uh, There's a greater affinity, a greater longing for him and to know his will. During times of heavy decisions, prayerful fasting is the path to take. There are some things, Jesus said, that will only be addressed by prayer and fasting. In the book, The Life and Diary of David Brainerd, which was edited by Jonathan Edwards, David Brainerd, the great missionary, he recorded in his diary on Monday, April 19th, 1742. And don't write this down, it's entirely too lengthy. So I've got a couple of different things. He said, David Brainerd wrote, I set apart this day for fasting and prayer to God for his grace, especially to prepare me for the work of the ministry, to give me divine aid and direction in my preparations for that great work and in his own time to send me into his harvest. Now, that's what he prayed. Um, He recorded later uh, the experience of how powerful that day was. In other words, he recorded these notes on that particular day of prayer and fasting. In other words, God, show me, direct me, open up a door. I have a decision that I must make for world missions. He later wrote, About that day, I felt the power of intercession for precious, immortal souls, for the advancement of the kingdom of my dear Lord and Savior in the world, and withal, a most sweet resignation and even consolation and joy in the thoughts of suffering hardships, distresses, and even death itself and the promotion of it, the promotion of his kingdom. My soul was drawn out very much for the world, for multitudes of souls. I think I had more enlargement for sinners than for the children of God, though I felt as if I could spend my life in cries for both. I enjoyed great sweetness and communion with my dear Savior. I think I never in my life felt such an entire weanedness that is weaned away from the world and so much resigned to God in everything. Now, folks, if the testimony of David Brainerd, edited by Jonathan Edwards, doesn't say something then I don't know what does. And to me, it says a lot. He said at the beginning, I'm praying and fasting. God, you must direct me. I don't know what I'm doing, but I so want to serve you. And he said later that I have never had such sweet resignation and consolation and joy about suffering, about hardships. Lord, let me at it. I want to follow you and I want to be used of you. I've never been so weaned from the world and so much resigned to God in everything as I was during times and periods of prayerful fasting. Scares you a little bit, actually. It's a little bit close. God gets a little bit closer and your sensitivity to him is heightened. Now, I don't presume to compare myself with the likes of David Brainerd. But I can testify 
that the times I have been most earnest in prayer for the lengthiest amount of time, quality and quantity, if you will, where I've stayed in his presence with the most intense focus were easily the times that I've given to prayerful fasting. It is that important of a discipline. Thirdly, not only with temptations and with decisions, but times of serious afflictions. Don't turn to it, but you can write down the reference, Nehemiah 1, verses 1 through 4. Nehemiah 1, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Nehemiah had just heard that the walls were torn down in the city. The people were in, 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 were in despair and everything was falling apart in Jerusalem. The, uh, the, the people of God were being uh, afflicted. And when he heard the news, he was broken. It was as if he was wearing leaded shoulder pads. The burden of the news just um, caused him to slump over, as it were, and be in anguish and in tears. It was, it was acute. It was severe, this attack that he was experiencing in his heart. It says he mourned for many days as the news hit him like a ton of bricks. But then in Nehemiah 1.4, it says, he fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Just a little phrase, but the context of that passage will tell you and lends itself to he agonized. He was, uh, he was without food and on his face, maybe for days, certainly for hours, many hours, if not a few days. And the rest of the book is nothing but victory after victory after victory in the midst of tribulation, albeit, but still victory and the kingdom's work went on. Times of serious affliction. And so, do you have a burden like this in your life? Do you have an unsaved loved one? Do you have a marital struggle? Do you have parenting issues? Do you have health burdens? Do you have financial stresses? Are you bitter from an offense back then? Are you fearful of the future? Is there something facing you, whether it is a temptation, whether it is a decision or it is an affliction that you're presently experiencing? I commend prayerful fasting to you. You say, "Okay, I believe it. How do I do it? Prayerful fasting practiced. How? How do I actually go about it? First and foremost, humbly. It's not a fast if the motive is anything but brokenness and dependence on God. If it's not a time of crying out humbly to God in fervent, passionate prayer, then it's not a fast. God, this is bigger than me. I can't face this alone. This is weighing me down. This is crushing me. I'm fearful. I'm weak. I don't, I don't have any wisdom. I don't know what to do or when to do it or how to go about it. God help me. And I am setting aside my life. Now, you might still be going to work. I'm not saying you're taking vacation necessarily, but you are setting aside that focus in your life of food and you are making your burden, bringing it to the Lord, your focus. David's heart cried out when he was in great distress in Psalm 35 and 13. It says, I humbled my soul with fasting. Do you need to be humble before God? Do you need to be broken? Then you commend or you go, I commend a fast to you and you go on that fast because you want to seek God. Your sensitivities will be heightened. Secondly, do so discreetly. It's not an occasion for blowing the trumpet. Only by way of illustration, not by way of, of saying you ought to do this. <clears throat> but there was a week sometime back 
when I fasted every single day, a portion of that day. Maybe you would do that. And I use this again, folks, just by way of illustration to help you understand. You with me? You hearing that? I'm not blowing a trumpet here. Just wanting to explain how to go about it. And so this week, you may fast lunches every day this week. Or there was a time where I would fast uh, two meals on three or four, a couple of days. And there are other times, and this has been more common for me, and, and, it, and it seems to be more, if I, if I can, effective or fruitful uh, in my life, is when, I go, when it's um, a full day, 24 hours or 36 hours, something like that. In other words, it's a large amount of time at one time. I have found that to be uh, more fruitful for me. But it's between you and God. You just discern in your mind This is how I am going to approach this. God, if this isn't what you want, then direct me in another way. But the best I know, in humility and with discretion, not going to blow a trumpet, I am purposing to focus on you, Lord, for this time. And then how else should you fast victoriously? You can have victory over the flesh, which is demanding to be pampered. Look, you can see my waistline fluctuating from time to time. It's down right now. Thank you very much. But you're not going to have victory if your practice is like this. You look at your belly or you listen to those hunger pangs and you say, shut up. Quit that growling. I'm not going to give in. What you've done is you've made food the focus. Did you follow what I just did? If you if you turn and make your growling of your stomach or your hunger pangs, if that becomes, it's also like quitting smoking cigarettes. I'm not going to smoke you. I'm not going to. You can't have me any longer. If you make, there's no power in the cigarette to help you quit smoking. Well, there's no power in making food the focus. That's powerless. If anything, it, it just causes your resistance, as it were, to be diminished. And so turn your focus when you're reminded that you're hungry. Use that to turn your focus to the presence of the Lord. Don't let it take you and keep you in bondage. You can certainly practice the discipline of fasting. I would guess every one of you, including diabetics in here, you can practice the discipline of fasting to some degree, to some degree. Now, I'm not going to prescribe what that is for you. It's between you and God. Maybe you want to get some counsel from your doctor, depending upon where you are health-wise. But if God has commended it, And Jesus has said, there are some things that are only addressed by prayer and fasting. That tells me it's for all of his children. And it is the wise path to follow. So a time of teaching this morning, a time of not so much really even, uh, uh, I don't want it to be uh, exhortation. I certainly don't want you to feel uh, like you've been roped or or, or, uh, there's some burden on you or stranglehold. Just to say to you from my experience it's, it's absolutely a different, fresh, and new dynamic. And nothing can be compared to it. I'm convinced of it. I'm convicted of it. God help me to be disciplined to follow that path that I believe to be so important. Lord, it's um, scary to uh, publicly say that. Yet, 